everyone. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. I'm Ashlyn Phelps, the communications coordinator at High Point Church. This week, we are interviewing Adam Darbone, the Generations Pastor at New North Church in San Bruno, California, or perhaps better known in the Madison area as a former High Point pastoral intern. He'll be joined by Nick Gibson, our lead pastor, and Jill Reese, our content and ministry coordinator for the lead pastor. The focus of this episode is to talk about what it means to be a teaching church, particularly what it looks like to mentor someone in your home and ministry life and deeply caring for people, not only in the abstract, but as individual, messy humans. As always, if you've got a question about what you heard, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. I'm Jill. I'm here with Nick and Adam. Um, do you guys want to say hey? Hey. Hey, Nick. Hey, Adam. Okay, so we have a guest today. Um, Adam is here to talk with us about being a teaching church. So at High Point, one of our core values is leadership development, but more colloquially, we call, we talk about that as being a teaching church. And last week, um, we sent off, or we're sending off one of our um, lead pastors, um, Pastor Lloyd Biddle, our, one of our associate pastors, and we have a new round of interns. So we want to talk more about this topic and revisit it a little bit. So Adam, why don't you introduce us to yourself and talk a little bit about you so we get to know you. Yeah, my name is Adam Darbone. And if you're listening from High Point, I was there, gosh, it it's kind of crazy. I think it's like nine years ago now. Um, but uh, yeah, I am now, I am a... Uh, a pastor in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, right now, my title is Generations Pastor, so I oversee kind of birth through college age uh, ministries at our church, um, and uh, and I'm exploring church planting out of our current church. So awesome! I, may, All I, right, Nick. I don't know what else you want to know from me, though. Well, I'm sure we'll get to know plenty about you because right. we'll. We have lots of questions for you. Um, Nick, can you talk a little bit about why you wanted Adam to come specifically and talk about this topic? Yeah, when you do a podcast every week, you need a certain number of guests for the year. I'm just kidding. Um, well, that is, that is one of the reasons. No, um, uh, so, um, yeah, so the main reason is just Adam was one of our first long-term pastoral interns. I think he was the first official pastoral intern that stayed for a year. And one of the things I think is important in programs where you have training for younger staff people is to kind of see what happens after seven, eight, nine years um, and beyond that and how that affects things. I also think that, you know, Adam is doing ministry in the San Francisco Bay Area and um, he's going to have some insights and stuff like that. I think our, mm-hmm. our audience is just going to benefit from in terms of doing ministry in in fairly secular, lo- pretty secular, extremely secular locations. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Plus, I was the best right. intern you ever had. So, but yeah, plus Adam was the best turn. Yeah, you're pretty ever. infamous around here still. <laughs> His name is still um, dropped occasionally. Yeah, it that's is. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But most people now on staff, like, they have no memory of Adam. Yeah. They, right. They well, just, but I'm some people still le- know him. Just a legend now. Yeah, it's true. All right. Well, let's dive in, shall we? All right. Um, Adam. How and why did you decide to become a pastor? Yeah, that um, when I was in college, I re I I felt 
I, I was I went to college to be a marine biologist, and when oh really, I did. Yeah, wow. yeah. Hot I wanted I wanted to do research on great white sharks, and I had a whole a whole plan, and um, and then really felt it was really over the course of about two years, but it kind of culminated in early in college at the kind of the end of my first year of college mm -hmm. that I. Uh, really felt this call to ministry and felt like, um, and, and I resisted it for a while and then finally kind of gave in and felt like God was saying it's, it's time. So, uh, so I changed my major and, and decided this was, I was going to go into ministry. And at the time, at first I thought I'd just be like a youth pastor for the rest of my life at a church, a small church. That was kind of my goal. Um, and then, that changed and developed and over, over the next number of years. Cool. Were you ever a youth pastor in the process? Yes. You were. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Nick, what yeah, was your so, question? Yeah. So one of the, one of Adam's greatest failures while he was here as an intern was that he attempted there were to so find, many. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how you, <laughs> he, well, he how attempted to find a water polo league to play in. in really? That's in, true. Inland here, you know, Wow. And he just could not find such a thing because that was like his big sport when he was in school. Because he like for the marine biologist thing, like he was a he's a swimmer, like a serious swimmer, or was when he was here. And so like I could see the whole great white shark thing. Plus he's a tasty thin morsel too. That's so right. easy. I mean he's tall but easily <laughs> swallowed whole. You know. So anyway. I'm feisty though. So. <laughs> Uh, um, so you met, you talked a little bit about your current ministry role. Uh, what do you enjoy mm -hmm. most about it? Yeah, what it's interesting. So I just did a, I did a, or a kind of hosted and, and performed a funeral yesterday for a, mm -hmm. a gal in our church. Well, for a, a guy in our church who passed away and, um, his wife and family. And, um, I think the thing I love most about ministry is that I get to be with people in really significant moments in their lives. And I get to be a part of that, whether that's a funeral, whether that's a wedding, whether that's uh, just a crisis or a, a moment of faith discovery or um, whatever, whatever that is. But it, it's for a lot of people, it ends up being some of the most significant moments in their lives um, or turning points in their lives. And I get, I get to be there, speak into that, be around them during that, love them during that. So that mm -hmm. that's by far my favorite thing about ministry. That's great. Um, okay. So that's where you are right now. We're going to back up then and start from when you came to high point um, and then move back up to the present. So how did you end up in, so you're in California right now and you're from mm -hmm. California, correct? How yes, did, why did, why did you come here? <laughs> How did you end up at High Point in Madison, Wisconsin? And what made you decide to come here? Yeah, so I was at a school called UC Davis, which is a yeah big state school in California. And Davis happens to be where Nick's brother, Stan, lives and does ministry. Uh, he Stan is is quite the accomplished man. And yet somehow he finds time to do significant college ministry on the side. And so, um, I was real close with Stan and, and Stan actually taught a, along with our, the college pastor at the church I was at, they taught a preaching class and they had, they invested a lot in me and, 
um, they brought Nick out to preach a retreat for for us, a fall retreat for us. And so I got to meet Nick then. And basically, Stan said to me, hey, if you're serious about being a pastor, and at that point, I knew I probably wanted to be a lead pastor one day. Um, he said, you know, if, if you're serious about this, you should really consider going and interning with my brother. And so I met Nick that weekend and, um, and then decided fairly quickly to move out. I think initially when I decided to move out, it was like, Hey, let's see if this works for three months. See if Mm. our church likes you, if my wife likes you. No. Oh, so that was from Nick. No, 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 no. Adam was the coy one. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. It it may have changed in his mind now. Yeah, you're or, right. Or you're, have- you're right, Adam, because I was so cagey about getting a year of free labor. Yeah, that was yeah, I was right. just so unsure about that. <laughs> so it was probably me. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. It might have. Well, been he me. had to move to Wisconsin, so maybe I, I did. Know, maybe he right. wanted to test it out. Yeah. I, again, you're arguing in my favor. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, right, I do so, very vividly remember because I, I lived with Nick and Alexi when I, yeah. when I worked there and I very vividly remember having a conversation with Nick early on where Nick said, basically, you can stay here as long as my wife still likes you. <laughs> and if my wife doesn't like you anymore, then you're going to have to live somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, I do need to add here. Cause some people don't know this though, that Adam lived with us. So not all yeah. interns, special interns live with us. He's yeah. actually one of the only ones that ever did. I don't know if it's because Lexi had a bad experience, but he but he is <laughs> he is the only one that lived with us for a full year. The only other people that lived with us in any kind of comparable length of time is the Kyles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Which, wait. Which fun, I just I have I just have a curiosity question. So, are you you didn't know Nick really at all when you moved in? Was that like awkward <laughs> to live with someone you don't know? You know, I was a pretty confident little 22-year-old oh, okay. kid after I left college, so I wasn't that worried about it. Um, and and it turns out, so Nick, I think, are you are you guys Enneagram people at High Point? Are you guys? I am. Okay. Well, some of us. Yes, there's a, there is Jill's, a good, there's strong. A, there's a Jill's, good a, Jill's an Enneagram 9, which is like, the, I'm really into Enneagrams. Wait, what's, yeah. is there a 9? That is not there true. Is there is a nine. Oh, I'm like, so I meant I'm to say just an Enneagram with... 10, which is the, I'm really an Enneagram. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was funny, Nick. Nick. <laughs> that is... <laughs> Sorry, that joke's a couple uh, of iterations. Yeah. Uh, so Nick and I are, I, I am fairly certain Nick is a very strong eight and I, I am as well. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So it actually worked out great. Cause I, I had never really been around another eight. I mean, I didn't know any, I didn't, I was not an Enneagram mm-hmm. person at the time, but I didn't really know why we got along, but that, I think that had a lot to do with it. I, so. Nick, you have someone who thinks you're an eight. There you go. Yeah. He's the first one. He's, a lot of people think Nick <laughs> is a five. I don't know if Nick has an opinion. Most, most what people around here who do Enneagram think I'm a five, but like, I think really? isn't, the, isn't the five, like when you're at your best, you're like an eight. Yes. Yeah. In strength, you go to an eight. So yeah. that's the, that's the well, theory. So when Adam was around, I was always. And your strength. best was your yeah. prime. It's because yeah. Adam just is always. a buoy. He's a buoying presence. 
<laughs> so that makes perfect and sense. And if he's an eight, then maybe it made you more an eight or something. Or maybe you yeah, are I, an eight and we didn't know. Maybe I am. Yeah. yeah. Maybe all this Nix a five is maybe, maybe when I'm, maybe I'm just always depressed and acting like a five. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That could also be the case. Oh no. All right. No, but when we looked, I remember when we looked at, cause isn't it, isn't it the five, doesn't the five behave kind of like a seven when they're not doing very well? Yeah. And that is also true for me when I'm not doing very well. So unless I have a double Enneagram regression, then <laughs> five appears to be. What we need to look at is what is the eight when it's doing well? A two. Which I don't think is a description of me at all, right? See, I don't anyway, think so. But yeah, we don't, I mean, all these yeah. are like horoscopes too. You're like, yeah, I could, yeah. I could see that. I could, I could, yeah, yeah. We're all a little bit of so, everything. Sorry, all right, but you know? Adam was making a point about right. how we got along yes. easily, which yes. is which yeah. is fairly true. We're both kind of either gregarious naturally or easily put that on. We we like with repartee. Mm-hmm. We're quick witted. We like poking fun at each other, at other in other people, and so on. And so we but we both. Yeah have been worshipped since the day we were born by our mothers. Those sorts of things <laughs> make for similar. Awesome. Yeah. That's, that's fun. All right. Well, what on those, on that note, what were some of your favorite memories when, from your time in Wisconsin and at high point? Mm. You know, that was such a good year for me. Um, I actually saw, it was like, just like the nine year anniversary of my first time at Culver's and also the time that Nick, I like the day after I moved in, Nick. I, I don't know if you want this on the podcast, Nick, but Nick out of their back window shot a rabbit with a pellet gun that was destroying his, <laughs> his garden. And uh, I think the statute of limitations has run out for that. Great. And then I and then proceeded to skin it on the back patio and put it in the freezer for dinner sometime later. And I thought, where am I? What? <laughs> what if I? What am what am I doing here? This is not California. Um, yeah, I do want I do want the uh, general um, was Madison public to know that shooting an air gun in your yard, which you will just allege that I did, but I didn't admit to, um, is as actually a, a a minor crime. It's the discharge of a fi- <laughs> it's considered discharge it of a firearm. Yeah, and it's not allowed. And you can get. I think it's a ticket though. I don't think it's like a yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, but I have. So yeah, I've moved to killing rabbits with hillbilly traps now. So the ones that like <laughs> they sell, hands. the ones they sell, I do. Yeah. Sometimes or our dog, but like the ones they sell in the store, they'll like have a heart traps. They are utterly worthless. They cannot catch an animal. The only thing you can catch in there is like a little, like a raccoon or something, you know, or a possum, a really dumb possum. You cannot catch rabbits in those. Not enough to make a dent in the population. So I use a twirl center hillbilly trap now and buddy, I've, I've doubled, I have two of them. I've doubled up. I've got two rabbits the same night. Like it's, it, yeah. it puts an end what's to them. Your, what's your estimate for how many rabbits you've killed? If the, if the traps at, at the store don't <laughs> kill the rabbits fast enough, I'm curious as to what. How many have I killed are. in the last 10 years? <laughs> sure. What's your, or what's your pace per year? I don't know. <laughs> I, well, I mean, it's, it's more than 30. I mean, I, I like. 30 I, total I, in 10 years or 30 a year? I mean, Luna killed seven one afternoon. Oh, okay. All right. But that nice. was, you know, a nest. So it depends on if you count babies. And, you know. Is Luna... Oh, Adam, man. were you is trained Luna. in the art of rabbit killing? Uh, not rabbit killing, Sorry. but rabbit skinning. Yeah. So rabbits aren't hard is, to process. Yeah. So this was the other thing. Nick Nick killed a couple of them over the course of a day, a couple of days. And then 
and uh, and showed me how to kill one. And then we woke up one morning for basketball. We played basketball at like 6.30 in the morning across town on the east side. And Nick had already killed a rabbit. He put it in a cooler. We went and played basketball and we got back and Nick said to me, hey, I have a meeting that I need to get to. Can you take care of this and put it in the freezer before you come to work today? And <laughs> which I then did. But so yeah, I learned I learned how to process. He's been trained. Now, now then I released him into the work. That's an important leadership mm. concept. Yeah, Nick. <laughs> yeah. But Nick most people very, don't know this, but rabbits are one of the only small fur bears that can be entirely processed without a knife. You can do it with your bare hands. Their skin just people, tears off. And most, most people, people don't know do that. not know that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Most but people it's, do it's not It's 100% know true. But I'll tell you what, Scott Kyle knows that, and Adam Darbo knows that because they live with me. That's right. That's, yes, that we do. That seems really valuable. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> well, if you're um, lost in the woods, you know, and you have to kill an animal that you can process yeah, without true. tools, rabbit. Right. That's true. Of course, you don't um, have tools, so I'm not sure how you're killing the animal, but. Did, do you not see me kill them with my bare hands? <laughs> No, I think I missed that. Adam, you said you went to Culver's. I'm a Wisconsin girl through and through, so I love Culver's. What what did you get the first time you went to Culver's? Culver's Culver's was Jill's trolling for guys location growing up in like (laughs) Maisomani. So I don't think there's a Culver's in Maisomani, and I didn't grow up there, but yeah. Oh, Baraboo. Sorry. No, Baraboo. Yeah. Yeah, there is a Culver's in Baraboo. Yeah. That's all right. You told that's you told better. me once that you'd like hung out there, quote, hung out there when you were a teenager. That's because that's the only place to go. Right. Exactly. That's why. I, yeah. I, no, okay. I'm not saying that you're such a pedestrian human being that you, you know, there was like a Starbucks <laughs> and like you were slumming it at Culver's. Right. I, I'm just saying that's. <laughs> okay. That's well, anyway, I still want to know Adam's first meal at Culver's. Oh, man. Do you well, remember? I'm if sure. you remember, that's understandable as well. Acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't even think I got a meal. I think it was with, I think some, I drove out with my dad and I think he was still in town. And I think we went because Jude really wanted to go. And so I think we went, the whole, the whole family went. Um, and I think, I think we just got concrete mixers, but it was the first time in my life I'd ever had frozen custard. And it was amazing. Yeah. I, I it is amazing. I couldn't believe how much better it was than ice cream. Yes, thank you. If you're in the mood yeah. for it, like if you're in the mood for that taste, because it, it's it's definitely different. It's, it's different. It's definitely yeah. different. So if you like it, then yeah. yeah, it's better than ice cream. If you like the iciness in ice cream, you will not like custard better. But if yeah, you, I, if I you like the creaminess, true. if you in, if you increase creaminess and like that increases your pleasure, then custard is clearly better. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Um, if, you know, in, in, like- to act mercifully towards our listeners, I thought maybe we could get towards the ministry <laughs> yes, stuff. I think so too. So, um, okay. So, who were some of the people who impacted you the most and why? Well, yeah. So, Nick and Alexi, well, and then the kids too. So, Lena wasn't born yet, but um, Abby, Rachel, and, and Jude obviously all were. And so, um, they. I think obviously they had the biggest impact. I lived in their house. They just kind of incorporated me into their family. They, I mean, I, they went out, brought me on family vacations and uh, I went to a family wedding with Nick and his mom in Pennsylvania. And I mean, it was, so they had the biggest impact by far, but I think other people that come to mind are people like the Flotmeyers who just really cared for me well. And um, I spent a good bit of, 
a good bit of time with, I think. Um, yeah. And then, um, yeah. And then like, well, (laughs) I'd say the Dolligers, right. Lisa and Tony, they weren't the Dolligers yet. They, we, uh, they were, Tony was trying his very hardest to get Lisa to like him (laughs) at that point. Um, so they they were really good friends as i was there so th- those are the people who come to mind. i mean there were a lot of people there that had a big impact and a lot of the elders at the time who i don't know um i know it's a rotating elder board i don't know who's still on the board yeah. but um uh, were played a big role because i spent a lot of time around around them because nick was spending a lot of time around them and i basically was spending all my time around the people nick was spending his time with so <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm um, you mentioned a couple families. So what yeah. what about like being around a whole family for you was impactful? Like you even mentioned the kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I moved when I moved out. I was twenty two, and I grew up in a stable family, and I'd been around kids a lot. I'd done a lot of babysitting, and and had had mentor. I mean, like Stan had kids at the time that I was there in, in Davis. And I, so I'd been around kids and families, but like being a part of a family with little kids. And, um, I think, uh, I think for me and like, I spent a lot of time like doing dishes after dinner and sitting and talking with Alexi while Nick was working in the office or whatever. And I think for me, that was really big as I, as I was thinking about my career and ministry and what I was going to be doing, it helped me think about not only do I, what do I want for my career in ministry, but what do I want for my family and what do I need to be looking for in a wife as I mm-hmm. <laughs> endeavor on, on this, like, what, do, what do I want to, how do I want to parent as a pastor? Cause that's, mm-hmm. that can be a little bit of a weird thing. Um, mm-hmm. Not a weird thing, but like you're a pastor, but also you're, your first ministry is your kids, your family, but yeah. like what, how does that, how does that work and how do you kind of navigate that? So getting to see all that up, up close and personal was really huge. So um, what's a mentoring conversation or, um, or a mentoring moment that you had that was really impactful for your present ministry or for your ministry leading up to where you're, you are now? And um, how have you incorporated that, what you've learned from those conversations? You know, there was one, we were go. Nick and I were going into a, a meeting where a, where a decision had to be made. And there were, there were some varying opinions on what should be done. And I remember, well, I remember saying, this conversation. You remember this conversation, yeah. Nick? Um, I won't go into details about what the conversation was about, but, um, uh, but Nick, Nick said to me, Hey, here's the five people who are going to be in this room. What, what should I be thinking right now? And which was a question Nick asked me a lot. Like, what am I thinking? What should I be thinking? And, um, and I was like, I don't know, you know, and, and Nick said, listen, these, these two people are adamantly opposed to this decision these two people are, or this one person is for this decision, which Nick was as well. And these two people are in the middle. I don't, I'm not going to convince the two people on the other side. The real question is what are these two people in the middle going to do? And I, I need to focus like 
if I think this is the best thing, I need to focus my attention on them. Um, so that like, just thinking about decision making and strategy like that, I think um, there was another moment. Uh, I can't even remember what the conversation was about. It was about like instruments in worship or something like that, that we had as a staff meeting. And I'm sure you'll remember this too, because it's the staff meeting that everyone cried except for Nick and I. Um, and <laughs> was it in Micah E? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I remember this. <laughs> and again, I don't even remember what the conversation was about, but there was like this moment where, again, disagreement on staff about what we should do and very passionate um, people on, on staff in a good way. Like, like everyone was passionate for the right reasons and it was, they love people and they love this church and, um, but it led to a lot of crying and this like big moment of hugging, but like watching Nick navigate that and fi- like mm-hmm. figure out and uh, how to love these people and move the- all of that was, was really huge for me. And then there was, yeah, another there was moment. a minor, there was a minor outburst from Adam in that meeting. That was actually pretty, pretty good. I expected Lisa to have that outburst, but Adam yeah. did it first, but it, cause it was, there was a lot of these either ors and the either ors were like, do we do what a person, this person feels that would make them feel affirmed or do we do the thing that's in line with the mission and commission Christ has given us through the local church, right? And to do the best ministry we can. And there was just a lot of like, well, these people feel like this and these people feel like that. And we should just, man, we got to care about how people feel and we got to feel right. And people are crying about that. And like, I'm kind of waiting because I know if Lisa gives the, gives the, um, Hey, listen, yes, we're, Doing leading is full of terrible choices, but we have to do what we're commissioned to do by our Lord, not what people feel like they want, even if those feelings are really wholesome in certain ways, right? So I'm just kind of, you know, and Lisa gave a little version of it, right? And then at one point, Adam just kind of dropped it. He was just like, you guys, like, come on, like, <laughs> this is all right. I mean, and it's really sad to let go of some of these things, but like, we have to. This is what we're here to do. Don't you remember what we're here to do? And everybody's kind of like, it was kind of like the, everybody knew somebody had to say it and it had to be said. And some people had to be like, kind of like slapped with it a little bit, you know, so they could be like, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so I, I just, I waited for it. And so Adam played a, a important role that somebody had to play in that meeting. It was um, the perfect role for the Enneagram eight on the team. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, sp- I spent a lot of inter- mental energy foxing my way through that meeting, like trying to get it all kind of moving in a good direction. It was one of those meetings where like you actually couldn't make the thing that had to happen, happen. You had to kind of like try to create an environment in which it could happen. And, um, and in that meeting it did. So it was, it was, it was a, it was a really important moment. And it's important to realize that like, some people think that leadership is all about like telling people where you're going and laying down the vision and doing the blah, 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 blah. Right. And making sure everybody knows what you're doing. And you can do a lot with that. Um, but I don't, I don't agree that at some point you have to be able to be the counselor or the person who actually shepherds people through something, not just the person Mm -hmm. who tells them what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was a big lesson. Yeah. And that was a big lesson for me when I was, I was there. I remember Nick saying to me another time, like, Hey, part of, part of leadership is having the same conversation like 50 times. 
and you yes. just have to, you're going to be so bored with the conversation, but they like the, you're going to have to have the conversation over and over again, because you are the one that's trying to like lead and shepherd and counsel and, and move these people. And you can't just do it by saying like, this is what we're doing. Um, yeah. And for, for context, right. I meant like that with the same person. Right. Right. It yeah. wasn't just like, well, you know, there's 300 people in the church. You're going to have to have that conversation 50 times. I was like, yeah. no, you're gonna have to have a conversation with the same person. Yeah. Like 10 or 12 times. Yep. Would you say that's true of just ministry and leadership or just in having relationships? Is that something we... I think that's especially true in leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I had one staff member who served with me for a a good long while who would bottle things up and then abruptly say, I don't want you to ever do this again. And I was... I One time I told this person, I was like, look, I appreciate how you feel. So like you feel like there's been a train of abuses that you really didn't like and you want it to stop right now. And on one level, I think you have the right to the extent to which this isn't a good thing for it to stop right now. But what you're missing for your philosophy about what's right and wrong is the psychological reality that that's not how people function. If you want me to change, you're going to have 20 conversations with me about this. Like consistently. And every time I do it, you're going to, repeat it again until I change my behavior over the course of the next two years. Hmm. That's how humans actually change. And if you can't handle that, then you're not going to get the change you want. Either you're going to end up leaving or you're going to end up not getting the change you want. And I, and I said, it's not because I don't want to do it or anything like that. It's just because that's just how people are. And mm-hmm. I, the reason I told that person that was partly because that is what I needed from that person if they wanted what they wanted, because it was, there was a perception gap between us. Right. And so I didn't see things the way that person saw them. Right. But in addition, that person wanted to go on to further ministry and we're a teaching church. And I needed to let that person know that, look, what you're doing is not how you handle conflict with people. Mm -hmm. I know that in certain settings you can do that, but not in a volunteer organization where people choose to be here and they work for half of what they can make otherwise. And they make all these sacrifices. You don't just come in here and tell them stuff like that. Um, except for as the first step. Right. And yeah, we, I, but, and I, but I've had that conversation with that person six or seven times, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Joe, I've got one more lesson that I learned. Yeah. Or one more like mentoring moment that it. I, uh, um, so every once in a while the, so I, I got to go to elder meetings, which was a huge it was enormously helpful in my future ministry to have been able to be in a room that I really had no business being in. Um, but, and every once in a while, the, so I mostly, I just was a fly on the wall. I just sit there and kind of watch and listen. And, um, but every once in a while, the elders would turn to me and say, Adam, what do you think? Just to like help for a laugh, you know, something for a laugh mostly. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, which mostly was humorous, I think, for them. But uh, there were, there's two times actually that I vividly remember where I just like completely stepped in it. Just like one time where I just said something really stupid that, that I didn't realize was going to be offensive when I said it, but then was. And now I understand. Do you sure remember what were, it, do you remember what it was? Yeah, the word, the word was curmudgeity, I think, that was oh, the particularly I feel like offensive. you guys are being. You're like, I feel like you like guys you have been told- kind of curmudgeonly about this. No, I, what I said was, um, I, we, 
I don't want to like, I think, okay, Nick, I'm pretty sure the conversation was around whether or not we should allow coffee in the, in the auditorium. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 This was a big day when that was allowed. I was really excited. Well, I think Adam, (laughs) I think Adam was around for it being debated like three times. Oh, wow. I I certainly was. And in one of those debates, so there were like very strong opinions on both sides. and. Um, it, it casualizes worship and divides attention. And then other people were like, no, Nick preaches for an hour. Like a sugared up coffee is exactly what everybody needs. Yeah. Right. And well, at that point they were still trying to get you to preach for like 40 minutes, but you'd go an hour anyway. Um, yeah. 52 ish. Yeah. Still yeah, the case. Yeah. And they yeah. were you know, like, you know, spilling and like, you yeah. know, not being good stewards of the room and building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, but I made a, I said something along the lines of, we don't want to, like, this is not important. We don't want to be a curmudgeonly church or something like that. And there were, there was at least one person on the elder board who, you know, rightfully so probably um, took that as sort of a direct, uh, personal character, character (laughs) attribution. Yeah. In in retrospect, on him. I think it was because the shoe fit like Cinderella's slipper. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a little, and I, so I just like completely stepped in it and, um, yeah. And, but your, and your I, failure there was not that you said something that was inherently terribly offensive. It was that you didn't read the room. You didn't realize that guy was going to flip out. I didn't I mean, realize that I yeah. had. Yes. Mm. But uh, I afterward, I remember Nick saying to me, "Hey, you need to call him, and you need to apologize." And and the less one of the lessons I learned in that was, and Nick Nick, this was something Nick said. He said, "You need you should always eat more crow than you have to." Hmm. Was like you should always apologize more than you think you need to. You should always because one, you probably need to apologize more than you think you need to, and. And two, like this is leadership. This is part of leadership. And um, yeah, Jill that, has another that, version of that saying that she uses fairly commonly too. I do. Oh, yeah. Can like, you tell me what it is? Yeah, I know you say apologize 150%, I think is what you usually say. That's the version that oh. I've heard you say. Okay. Do you not remember yeah. saying that? You said it like in the last no. month. Oh. I don't remember that. Yeah, but it's the same but deal. It's the really same good. idea that you you apologize yes. way mm-hmm. more than what you your you naturally think is sufficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that has served me just so well. And really specifically, <laughs> right? Like I always say, don't be like I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Say exact right. specifically exactly what you did and yes. preferably say everything they wanted you to apologize for and then theologically point out additional sins that they hadn't even yeah. really worked out mm-hmm. that yeah. you did. And apologize for those also. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. So there were, there were a couple of times where I just completely stepped in it like that. And then mm-hmm. I, I, the other thing I learned in that is to keep my mouth shut longer than I want to. <laughs> because So that you don't have to yeah, eat there was one time, as much I crow, think, at least. There was, yeah, exactly. There was a time, there, the discussion was about baptism and I, they, they again turned to me and said, what do you think, Adam? And I just started talking and Nick, I remember very vividly again, Nick, after the meeting said, saying, yeah, I just wanted to see how much rope you'd hang yourself with. Like, <laughs> I just, I just let you keep talking. He, he, he had no qualms about, he, he was not going to come in and save me and shut me up. 
and I learned a good lesson that I should just, I should, I should talk less. <laughs> yeah. Those, those who know me know that I am, I am apt to interrupt like that. I'm Italian of temperament and just interrupt people when you're ready to talk. And, uh, but yeah, sometimes I'll just, I just let them, just let them talk. And <laughs> People find out like, because people don't think through what they're going to say before they say it. They just mm. figure they have the facility to get to the end. And then sometimes you just can't land the plane. You just, mm. Like you're talking and you, you're you not really concluding and you're, and then you've said something, but now you're trying to clean it up. And then it like, and before you know it, you're just, you're spiraling, you know? And yeah, it's and- good to experience that a few times in highly embarrassing mm-hmm. ways that you can recover from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it that feeling of like needing to say something? Versus knowing what you're going to say. Is that the. No, that, that was. Partly. That you're talking about, Nick? Partly, but it's also like knowing who's in the room and what they already think I and see. how what you're saying is going to yeah. saying is going to play. As opposed that's to just what, what that's what said. it was. That was another situation okay. where I just did not read the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, people, the funny thing is people don't think I do that. People think that, you know, Nick just wears his heart on his sleeve and he just says what needs to be said. And like, you know, that's, that's what we like about him. And that's not true. That, that was true when I was 26. Um, but now I am saying as close to that as I can. And I'm saying more than most other people would say, but not because I'm not reading the room, but because I'm willing to take the risk. Like I, I believe, I just believe it's a greater risk to not say what needs to be said. So I'm going to say what needs to be said, but I'm going to say it in the best way I can reading the room the best I possibly can. So as to create as little collateral damage as possible, because that's my job as a leader to minimize the negatives and maximize the positives in relationship to leading God's will. And so I will not not say what needs to be said because that's too big a negative. It's to be unfaithful, mm-hmm. but I'm not just going to blurt out whatever I think needs to be said, ideologically speaking, because it's going to hurt a lot of people, you know? Mm-hmm. And so Knowing your people, knowing the room, and of course, the, the fewer people in the room, the better you know them, the easier it is to read them. But one of the things I think I try to work on with Adam and all the people that come through High Point is you have to have a theologically accurate view of human nature. If you understand what a human being is, your perceptions mm-hmm. about what's going on in each individual human being and therefore being able to read the room will be far more accurate than if you have some naive understanding of what human beings are like. And so one, that's one of the reasons I focus a lot on human nature and the human person and the flesh and sin and the image of God and sanctification, how those are all operative in people because they're mm-hmm. all, they're all partially operative. Like the guy that um, Adam offended when he said curmudgeonly, right? It was a curmudgeon. It was a terrible, terrible curmudgeon, but he was very principled about apology and forgiveness and recognizing how hard it was because being a curmudgeon, he had to apologize sometimes and he didn't like it. Right. And so I knew when Adam called him and apologized, he'd forgive him. Hmm. That's not true for everybody. It's true for that mm-hmm. guy. Because in understanding human nature, understanding how sanctification works, reading people over time, I knew not just that that guy was a godly man or that he was curmudgeonly. I knew the dynamics of each in that particular person. And so I knew how to, how to give that person the best chance to be godly in each situation and I knew how he was likely to react in an ungodly way. And my job is to, my job is always to help my brothers and sisters out of love to have the best shot at making the gut checks that they have to for their own spiritual life. Right. Mm-hmm. But without, without doing it in a way that I just stay away from their besetting sins. Sometimes I need to step mm-hmm. on their besetting sins so that they're forced to deal with them. 
And sometimes I need to walk with their infirmities so that I don't step on one of their weaknesses and harm them. And, 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 and even judging the difference between a sickness that you have to cut to treat and an infirmity that you shouldn't step on, just that difference in any individually particular person takes, takes a lot of discernment. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I, I try to focus on discernment and perception a lot with people I teach, but that's partly because discernment is one of my three biggest gifts personally. Mm-hmm. And that's not true for, that's not a very common I have a very uncommon pastoral gift mix Mm. because people wonder why I'm so crazy, but I've been successful. It's because I'm nutty and I have that like showman gift of teaching and blah, blah, blah. But because the Lord also worked such that I have a gift of discernment that saved me from a lot of Mm -hmm. negative stuff. So part of it is I have a weird gift mix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before we shift the conversation a little bit, I want to focus on, mentoring a little bit because we're in a series on first Thessalonians where we're talking about being imitators and examples. And Mm -hmm. what I noticed as you guys were talking was just really picking up the feel of someone else's life. And there's um, Nick, you left space for Adam to try and then followed up with him so that he could get the feel of it and not just um, hear what you were saying, but also try it for himself and fall and know what it feels like to fall, but know what it feels like to do it right and to see you do that as well. And I think that's really important in Mm -hmm. mentoring, whether you're mentoring for leadership or you're mentoring in your home, um, whatever it looks like for you. That's really important. And you can just bring someone along with you wherever you are in your home, um, at church. I mean, the grocery store, whatever it looks like. Adam may have an additional comment to this, but but I think it's important to recognize in mentoring People always learn by doing. Every kind yes, of person yes. learns by doing. Even the people Skating who rabbits. learn by reading. Like even people who yeah. learn by reading, after they get done reading, because I learn by reading, but then I go mm-hmm. do it. And I right. really learn and solidify the thing by doing it. And so even people that you think you can just tell something, mm-hmm. every single person learns by doing. And you, so whatever your model is, it has to take that into account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And Nick, Nick did that well. I think the other thing that really helped me learn a lot was Nick. Um, Nick, Nick was not the perfect pastor. In fact, Nick, you'd only, I think you'd only been at high point for like a year and a half when I came. And so, yeah. and you were, you were like 31 or something and 34, with 34, 30, 35, 30. Okay. 34, 35, but no, I, yeah. Like 35, 36, uh, because we made Lena while you were living with us. That's, and that's she's right. Seven. You did. Okay. There you go. Uh, but, <laughs> but Nick also let me kind of watch his failures or mm. growth opportunities or however you want mm. to say it. And, mm. and like talked through them with me. Like Nick, yeah. Nick gave me access not only to what was happening, but what was going through his head in the midst of like some uh, like, and, and kind of a, a time where like Nick's vision had not been fully for, for high point church had not been, realized and like high point church was still in transition from what had been before Nick got there and what, and like Nick, Nick hadn't been there that long. And so yeah. there were, and there was like a lot, there was a lot of conversation happening at that time and transition happening at that time because of that. And so I got to watch Nick be successful in leading through some of that change and then also fail through leading some of that change and recover and, so like watching him 
actually go through that process and having access to his mind and what he's thinking in the midst of that was incredibly helpful for me mm. because now that I'm a pastor and I'm in ministry and I have these moments of success, but also these moments of failure, I think back to like, okay, how did Nick handle this or what? Or And some of that is now just intuitive because of my time yeah. at High Point. Yeah. I think that's really important because I think in mentoring, that's either the inhibiting factor for people that letting people in in such a way that they could see you fail, that could be an inhibiting factor for you because you might feel like I need to teach them something or I need to show them something and tell them something important that they don't know yet. Or it can be really freeing because they're going to learn as they see you learn and as they see you operate and function and follow the Lord. And so it doesn't have to be an inhibiting factor. It's really yeah. freeing. It's easy to feel yeah. like you're, you just failed your intern or you're the person mm, you're trying yeah. to help lead. But um, if you are the kind of person who's going to learn from your own mistakes, mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is people don't want to admit their mistakes and then they don't want, they don't really spend the time doing the postmortem to learn from them. Right. And I, I think that that's a huge mistake. And so you can do your postmortem right with the intern. Just be like, Hey, well, how do you think that went? Like there were a couple of times, probably I asked Adam, I do this with interns. I was like, <laughs> how do you think that went when I know it went really badly? How do you, mm-hmm. and I'll ask like, hopefully, hmm. Hey, how do you think that went? Do you think that, do you think that went well? And then, and, and then I want to see if they can tell me no. Or if mm. what their perceptions are like, and and they're like, well, I think, I th- I think it could have gone better, you know. <laughs> you you got to be able to do that. But I do that with, I mean, I do that with staff like you, Jill, and like I like yeah. with Nicole, people like that. There was something that went fairly poorly, like well, that that AMA I ended up apologizing for mm. some of the things I said in it. I asked Nicole, so how did you think that went? Right, I had already determined in my mind that I wanted to like clear up some stuff and apologize for the way I said a few things and so on. And but then she said, well. Yeah, I've been thinking about this and I let her tell me how she mm-hmm. thought it went, which I knew was hard for her because she's very supportive, like a lot of you mm-hmm. staff are, but she like had to criticize me. And I think mm-hmm. I wanted to create a moment where she criticized me and I was like, yep, exactly. I totally agree. Because that also that also fosters that like you have to criticize your boss sometimes. Mm-hmm. You have to do that. And I wanted to model that, but then I also wanted her to think through her own objections and criticisms and articulate those rather than do it based on my articulation of them. There's a bunch of things that just come from that. And so I did that with Adam. I do that with almost everybody. I do it with Mike, who's like Mm -hmm. definitely more seasoned than me, but just because I just think it's a good exercise Mm -hmm. for everybody. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Let's shift a little bit to um, after you've left High Point. What are some things that you've been learning since you left here? So it's been a number of years. What are some things that God has been doing in you and through you? I think the biggest thing that I have learned, and I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out, um, probably because I'm I'm like pretty type A and driven and goal oriented, but um, is that ministry is about people. And I think it's really easy to forget that, especially in the midst of kind of the like the leadership generation that we're a part of. And like you go to all these conferences and you learn all these strategies. And um, the bottom line is ministry is not that complicated. It's it's about people. It's about loving people and caring for people and helping people. And um, and the I think the longer that I have been in a role, like I think when I first got to my role, it was like, I have this vision and I like, I'm going to like lead people and move people and like kind of move the pieces around and make this happen. And we're going to build this thing. And I still want to do all those things, but my, the longer I've been in ministry, I think ministry has softened me 
and has helped me to realize and and my ministry would be more effective if I had realized this faster, but that I just need to focus on like caring for people, loving people, reaching people, um, mm-hmm. whether that's people in my church or like, uh, you know, people who are outside of the church in our community, mm-hmm. in my like sphere of influence or life. So yeah, that's been the biggest realization and kind of shift in my ministry philosophy and thoughts. And I didn't, I did not know that when I was at high point, I didn't know that when I was 22. Yeah. I think I've had people ask me before, like interns ask me before, um, do you think that pastor work is like professional, like white collar work? Or do you think that it's like blue collar work? And I say, what I say to them is it's not even blue collar work. Like shepherds are not even artisans. They're labor. They're like, it's like the worst job. Like it's, I mean, it's not like, it's not even blue collar work, right? Like, yeah. If you looked at it from like a economic perspective, it would be something somewhere. It would be both laborer and entrepreneur kind of at the same time. Right. But more laborer. And then secondly, also one of the things I, I, I think it's really important for people leading in churches to recognize is that what Adam says is absolutely true. And the people on your staff team are also people. Yes. And there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of difficulties. Like every time I look at my budget for the year, I don't want to give anybody on my staff team raises because I want to hire new, more staff members, or I would love to take more, more money home myself. And it's all cost benefit. Every, you know, every dollar I do one thing, I can do another thing. And it's, and to think about like those staff members, families and how those families are developing and what those people really need and how that really functions and are they doing well? And like that, that really, really bothers me a lot of the time because I want my staff people to have good marriages and I want their kids to love them and I want their kids to go to church and I want their kids' kids to go to church and love Jesus and be devoted to him and all of those things. And, and I want people to grow spiritually at our church because the staff members are really so godly and they love Jesus so much, not just because they're like really good at ordering their like Excel spreadsheets with the right <laughs> formulas. And I think it's easy even to, to feel like you're acting for the people, you know, but I, I think that also gets, when, especially when you're at a larger church, you're not leading people as an abstraction. You have to get to the granular level of the individual people in your ministry. And I haven't served at a church large enough yet where that was a functional impossibility. I don't know what you do when you're in a church of 5,000, for example, or 20,000. Like, I don't know how you keep that about people rather than people as an mm-hmm. abstraction. But, um, yeah, but, I, I've but heard even in like, a church of 100 or 200, you can still not really do it for the people. Yeah. 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 You know who did this really well when I was at High Point? And again, I didn't realize it in the moment, which I probably should have learned from, but um, Steve Cook, I don't know if you remember this, Nick. Steve mm-hmm. Cook took me, uh, Nick like loaned me out for a day to him because he had a ministry where he <laughs> was basically a chaplain. I don't know if he still yeah. does or if he, yeah. He does, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So he's a chaplain to like, these businesses. Right. And, and so he just goes in and we went to like a, um, uh, like a, uh, waste management facility and we went to an auto body shop, I think. And, and like that was when I, when I look back on it, I think, man, that was so good for me to see that, to watch Steve, like walk into these places and just care for people and realize it's a, it is, it's about the individuals, not people as an abstract, as an abstraction. And that, mm-hmm. um, again, that's the thing. Like, cause I, I loved people, 
like as an abstraction, but it, it really mm-hmm. took me a while to realize like, no, it's the individuals mm-hmm. at my, at my church. It's like, like, I can't just like love people when they're coming in and I'm like greeting them. I need to like actually know their name and actually care about their life. Not just because that's what my job is, but because if I don't do that, I'm, I can't like, I'm not a pastor. <laughs> Yeah, even yeah. even like when your church is big enough where you're utilizing small group leaders as your first line yeah. of pastoral mm-hmm. ministry, it's very easy to just overnight become a pastoral consultant rather yes. than a pastor because you're like you know you're teaching you know pastoring to people, but you don't do it, and it's super easy, it's super fast, and so you yeah. have to just meet with meet with people that you can like I, Jill's gone through this a number of times with my schedule like my schedule gets busier I have like these statesmanship and like big picture kind of stuff that takes up my whole schedule and then we have to come back and I say Jill I have to have at least three or four meetings with people mm-hmm. every week if not more yeah. otherwise I just it does something bad to me mm-hmm. you know, yeah. she's like yeah yeah we gotta do that and we try to rearrange things and you know well yeah and for me like the perfect example for me was I like I had this funeral yesterday and in the midst of things there's a lot going on at our at our church and i've got a a million things to do and whatever um and there's a there's a young guy on our staff that is uh he's a he's a worship leader so he was he was going to lead worship for this this funeral yesterday and we were talking through things yesterday a little bit and and that was one of the things i told him i said listen there's never time i like every funeral i've ever done i've has never been convenient Right. And that's actually, that's been true for weddings. That's been true for crisis moments. That's been true for, that's been true for hospital visitations, but those are the most important things. Those are the things that really matter in ministry. Those are the things that both, both actually like the, those are the things that are actual ministry. The other stuff, the spreadsheets, the strategy sessions, that that stuff does not matter in comparison to the hospital visitation that you need to do or the, uh, the divine appointment with your Starbucks barista or the, like be late to the meeting, be, or, or don't get that thing done. Like, yeah, that's, it's more yeah. important to, to do this. And, and then, so we were talking through, cause I was talking through with this, this young guy on our staff and saying, listen, don't ever, as you're going, he's kind of just starting out in ministry. That was the thing. Like, don't, this is the ministry. This is the thing we're doing. This is what we're here for. Yeah. I remember Doug Pennington telling me that that story, like when I first started at Lynn Haven, he's like, you know, I had this young guy and he like was walking through the lobby and, and he got to the meeting and he's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to work. And, or maybe it was Doug. It was, this was like a former mentor of him. His, and, and the, the mentor guy was like, you just walked by your work. They were back there in the lobby, you know, because, because you just walked by a guy who lost his wife three months ago. You just walked right by him. How could you, how could you do that? Mm -hmm. Like you got to stop and at least say, Hey Bill, how are you doing? Hanging in there? You know, don't ask him if he's good, but be like, are you hanging in there? But we've been praying for you. Love Mm -hmm. you. Right. Like that's more work. You just did more. You know, I have a pastor friend who is a Greek Orthodox pastor. So the, his church is relatively small in size, but he's got plenty to do. And he, he said, he said, listen, I don't think any pastor, this is controversial, but he's prone to these kinds of controversials. And he said, I don't think any pastor should schedule more than 40% of their work week before the week. Just shouldn't do it. He's like, because, because you, then you can't do ministry. 
she's like, so yeah, you know, schedule a few meetings, schedule about 40% of your time, prayer, Bible reading, you know, sermon prep, whatever you, whatever you're going to do, like meetings, staff, or whatever. He's like, but then 60% of your week is just, you're finding out about stuff. You're going to see people, you're calling people. You're just like, you're shepherding. That's mm-hmm. what you do. And I've, my schedule has never been like that. Mm-hmm. I've never done that, but there's something right. I'm not saying that that's right, that you shouldn't schedule more than 40% of your week, but there's, there's something right about that. That, that prioritization. You know it's right. Like following mm-hmm. Jesus and in, in where he says in John 20, you care for my sheep, feed my sheep, protect mm-hmm. my sheep. Like there's something that you know just feels wholesome and right in line with Jesus about that. And so you you have to find a way to capture it. There's different ways to capture it maybe, but you have to find a way to capture it. And I, I felt that like that at high point, like a burden in the last couple of months mm-hmm. that we have to become more about people. Mm-hmm because we're all professionals. I mean, high points full of professionals that move mm-hmm. numbers around and talk about the blah, blah, blahs. And I think it's one of the reasons why we don't reach poor people very well. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Adam, it reminds me of what you started out saying and in, in saying that you love being with people during these foundational moments of their life. And that's, that's why it's so important. And that's how you become, you do ministry for people and with people is that you you know that those moments are huge for them, even though like no one's life falls apart according to your schedule <laughs> or according to their schedule. Right. But um, yeah, those moments are like life changing for those people. And so the question is, are you going to be there or not? And that are you going to really be for them or not? And I think people can can sniff that out. They know if you're there or not. And if you're yeah. just passing by or not, you know, people know that. And so even the effectiveness of ministry comes down to that. Absolutely. And yeah, that's absolutely true. People can sniff that out in a heartbeat. And people you don't people you don't think can sniff that out, like people who, whatever, don't have the social skills or the emotional mm-hmm. capacity or whatever, like people you think, those people sometimes know it the best. They can sniff mm-hmm. it out the fastest. And that, that, yeah. I think the other thing to realize in this that I that I've realized, and I learned this partially at High Point um, with some people that Nick and Alexi were doing ministry with, but is that like that sounds really good, and that sounds really like that sounds lovely, right? That sounds that sounds just so nice and inspiring, and but when you start doing that, people are really messy, and mm-hmm. the people who you are actually as a pastor. Like this gets back to Nick's point that like we're not artisans, we're like we're the lowest. Like the people who need it the most and the people that you are actually gonna pastor are really messy. And it, it you are gonna feel super awkward as you do ministry. You're gonna be in these situations where you're like, I don't know what to do and this is awkward and I just wanna get out of this. And they're probably not gonna be nice to you all the time either. <laughs> I would assume no, that they're right. not nice at all. And it really <laughs> yeah. feels like that it would be fun to judge them because it's like, you're kind of like, yeah, yes. who would behave this way? Like who, and how is, how is this a way a human being would behave who is in any sense conscious? Like, yeah. And how like, do they not have the, the self-awareness to not do that or to put that, like to not say that out loud or to not like, yeah. Sleep like, with that person or. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that is that like, so that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think that's where a, I suspect that's where a lot of young pastors. Um, and, and so this is why one of the reasons I'm grateful for my time at high point 
and what I learned at High Point, because I think this is where a lot of young pastors end up failing, because they the idea is inspiring, but the act, they're not ready for the actuality of it. And and I wasn't either. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took this. This is why it took me so long to like learn this. But but the foundation at High Point did help prepare me so that I could learn it, and so mm-hmm. that I could get there. And and you know I'm not arrived or anything, but. I'm much more comfortable being with messy people and than I would be. I, re- I remember a time actually when I, uh, there was a guy who like randomly walked into the church. Nick, I don't know if you remember this, who messy guy, I can't remember where he was from. He didn't go to our church, but he like randomly walked for the, into the church and like needed counseling. And like very clear from the exterior to the first time he spoke, you knew like this guy was messy. There was a lot going on in life. And that, he he explained his situation and it was it was a mess and nick kind of counseled him for a while and then turned to me and, and like had invited me into that i that was the one thing i didn't get to do a lot of because these moments are usually really intimate moments of like they're a pastor with someone yeah. in the church and they're private and so like that was not mm-hmm. something i could always that was like the one thing i couldn't always be privy to um in my internship but this this was like kind of a a random guy and and he just needed anyway and so nick let me come and nick turned to me and was like adam do you have anything that you want to ask or add and i like completely froze i had no idea i i I didn't know what to say i didn't know what to do i was um and i'm not like a natural counselor anyway and that's something i've had to learn and that was really good for me in that moment like i think about that moment a lot because i'm I'm much better in those moments now because of that. Hmm. And Nick, that was one of those moments that Nick didn't just hang me out to dry. He stepped in and (laughs) then continued the counseling session in a pastorally appropriate way. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the, one of the difficulties when mentoring people is precipitating situations in which they decisively fail enough to get their attention that they don't want to be there and Mm -hmm. not be discouraging to have your overall experience with somebody be an encouraging one, you know? And um, I mean, I, I, I think I've had one intern quit after being with me for just a couple of weeks. Um, and he's just like, I just can't take the judgment and the, like, I, I don't think he, I was the right person for him. And then I've had other ones that cried pretty regularly, you know, cause they felt stupid or something. Um, and then other ones, I mean, people have lots of different reactions to mentoring, but part of the deal is, is that, I don't like, I, I don't let people, you know, I like, I believe that we're, I believe that spiritually speaking, that the war metaphor is apt, like the, that we're in a spiritual war. Um, we're not at war with, with non-believers. We're at war with devils and sin and evil and so on. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I, I, I think of myself as a military trainer. Like I, I want, I want my people to survive. I want them to win. I want them to, live and I want them to flourish and I want them to liberate whole new countries. I like, I want, and you just can't turn people out who you've like molly coddled and not right. But you also can't break people, right? You have to, well, you do have to break them, but you have to break them right. You know, you have to break them like a horse, not like a board. And, mm-hmm. and like, that's not, it's not easy to get at those sorts of nuances. And so there's lots of pastors who say, yeah, I want to be a, te- a part of a teaching church or yeah, I want to be a mentor mentoring is its own science. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like its own set of skills and sciences and you have to be good at a bunch of things before you can really be good at it, but you can. And so sometimes I think that 
this gets back to understanding human nature and the human person, but a big part of it is understanding how human persons develop and how they develop within the realms of adult maturity, like the, the seasons, even within, within adult developmental appropriateness. And like a 22 year old is not the same thing as a 35 year old or a 42 year old or a, you know? And so I, yeah, I just, I think, I think there's a whole bunch of important things there, but you, but like intern interns and, and even young staff and young pastors need to fail and they need to recognize when they fail and they need to be inspired by that and driven by it. I, cause, cause you know, human beings are just wired for negative emotion. We just remember a negative emotion. We feel negative emotion so much more powerfully than positive emotion. You remember a terrible sermon more than a great one. And you, you remember your failures really clearly because you want to avoid them desperately in the future because of their embarrassment. And like, I just, I remember doing a funeral for a guy I really loved who would take me fishing a bunch of times. And when I did the, my part of the eulogy, I talked about stuff. Everything I said about him was stuff I knew about him from the church. And then Doug Pennington, who was my mentor in, in Florida, got up and did his part, but he changed it on the fly. He didn't mention anything that this guy had done at the church, but talked about his service record and how he'd been in the military and the merchant Marines and like his family and these friends over here. And Hey, these guys, motorcycle guys were so glad that you're here. He loved riding with you guys and blah, 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 all this stuff that Doug didn't know anything about, but he had taken the time and the prep and talking to the widow and all those kinds of things to pick up on all that stuff and recognize mm-hmm. that the man's life was more than what I saw at the church. Even though in some sense, as a pastor, I think every, all of his life was that he was a Christian. That's true, but also not all of his life was serving literally the church, the local church, but he had all these other parts of his human life that the people who were in that room knew him in and as and adored him and loved him in and as. And to overlook that was a huge sin and failure mm-hmm. in leading a funeral, right? Doug never even said a word to me about it, but I got the message. I felt embarrassed and I saw what he did and it was a major moment for me mm-hmm. in terms of like how you deal with people at funerals and these, these incredible important moments of their life, especially when you're speaking for somebody to a group of people that is composite and not your church. Mm. So. Yeah. 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 Well, so Adam, can you, you say anything about, yeah, I have, let me ask him just a, yeah. like a couple of quick ones. Go for it. What is your view or less, what's your view in practice now for you in like how much you want your church to be a teaching church or how much you incorporate the concepts of mentoring and seeing that as a major part of what you're you're there to do. Yeah, I think I think that is um, because of my time at High Point. I see that as a huge uh, a huge piece of my ministry. I think it's helped me even like in developing staff because I've I've mm. um, I have a number of staff people who work for me now and and who report to me and. Um, Re, like I approach my relationship with them very differently. And as I think about, so I, I'm in the process of thinking about church planting now. And as I think about church planting, like being a training ground or like my church being a training ground for people in ministry, especially in the Bay area where there's not a lot of pastors who like come out of the Bay area or who, or who come out of the Bay area and do ministry in the Bay area still. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's a hard, it's a hard place to do ministry because it's so expensive 
and mm-hmm. and generally you're not getting paid the same thing as the people you know or even close to the same thing mm-hmm. as the people who are living in your community um so a lot of people just either leave or just go into something else um or are bivocational pastors like there's a lot of bivocational pastors where i'm at and so i think being a place in which where i can train pastors um is is hugely important and so like one thing we've done i um since i've been here i've like from i think the first second or the second summer i I came in july here so the first summer i didn't have any but the, the second summer and on every summer since i've had an intern uh which has generally been a student who used to be in the high school ministry i led and is now in college and who's come and like interned for me and done uh, and, and not even general, like, I don't, there's a couple of them that maybe have to want to go into ministry. Most of them don't even want to go into ministry in the long term. But, and so my, my mentoring experience of them is not necessarily even about teaching them to, to be a vocational minister, but it's, it's teaching them to minister, to be a minister of the gospel and whatever mm-hmm. they're doing teaching them how to function in the life of a local church, teaching them like it, it's those sorts of things. And then, and then like just life skills and and whatever too. But, um, and some of the things we've talked about on this podcast even so that, yeah, that's hugely important to me. I haven't had like a full, like a one year intern situation. Um, but that's the other thing. Like we have a gal, there's a, like a young gal, she's 24 that is living with my wife and I right now. Um, that is, mm-hmm. and and she's sort of at a crossroads in her life, trying to figure out what what is next, and it's not going to be ministry. But like even that for me was a like that was a no brainer for me as my mm-hmm. wife and I were talking. It was like, oh yeah, we should we should just invite her to live with us, and it'll be so good for her. Like we can mm-hmm. help her learn and grow, and in the same way that Nick and Alexi did for me, um, just by just by being around us and being around mm-hmm. because we're because we're a little bit further in our life stage ahead of her um, and have some wisdom to offer and in, and in our faith journey and so yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's it's it and like you never really know what lesson which lessons people are going to learn you know what i mean mm-hmm. but right. they stay they learn the ones some of the ones they need mm-hmm. you know like i remember in alexi's relationship with lisa doliger early kind of early on Lexi didn't really know what lessons Lisa needed Lisa was just young and right and then they just had a conversation one day and and Lisa mentions this all the time where she's like Alexi I was talking about all the drama in one of my relationships and Alexi just said something like you know Lisa relationships don't have to have drama in them it doesn't validate them or make them any better and in fact it may be indication that they're not healthy like their relationships don't have to be dramatic and she was just like this iceberg melted. This was like mm-hmm. a glacier blocking mm-hmm. the pass of her life to emotional health just melted in one minute. And she was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, that's right. And like Lexi in a hundred years when she met Lisa and would, would talk with her would have never been like, oh, that's the lesson that Lisa needs. It just kind of emerges. Mm-hmm. And when you have people live with you, you just have all these other opportunities and illustrations and moments where these things could come up. And I think that, I think inviting people to live with you is one of the greatest under underestimated ministries mm-hmm. of Christians. And I think mm-hmm. especially in younger years, so like for Lexi and I having Adam live with us when our kids were pretty young, 
was like a perfect time. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it, it was a little counterintuitive because you think like, well, that's when your life is craziest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why you want to invite somebody to live with you who like is responsible and recognizes that they're going to be a contributor and all those kinds of things. But in some ways, those are also the best students, you know, like the Dollagers just invited Caitlin to live with them. Well, Caitlin's young and she's got a lot to learn, but Caitlin's also awesome, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's a great thing for the Dollagers as well as a great thing for Caitlin. And it was the same thing with Adam living with us and the Kyle's living with us. And, and, um, I remember like there've been a few people that live with like uh, Frank and Mary Pekovich and, and it's, it's not just empty nesters who should invite people to live with them. You know, inviting somebody in when kids are young makes it so much better for that 20 something, not only because they can watch your kids sometimes and they can help with things and all that, but they can also like see parenting in the young years, mm-hmm. which very few people get to see, you know, and which is more, it's uh, like, it's helpful sooner. Right. 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 Like, like it's, it's great. And I can learn a lot from someone who like an empty nester who's retired and um, mm-hmm. there's great wisdom there. But for me as a 22 year old, like I was, th- I wasn't thinking about what am I, what's retirement going to be like mm-hmm. and what should I do with my retirement? Not that that wouldn't be helpful for me to think about, but what I really wanted to think about was what do I, what should I be looking for in a wife? How should I th- be thinking about parenting kids? How should I like, how should I fight? Like, man, I, like I, I was in the room for arguments, fights mm-hmm. with Megan Alexi and like learned how to fight well, in a like in, in a marriage, like in mm-hmm. an appropriate way, mm-hmm. stuff like that. That was mostly appropriate. Way. Yeah. Mostly appropriate. Right. Right. Well, and then how to apologize when you, <laughs> when mm-hmm. you did it. But yeah. yeah, but like that was, that was what I was thinking about at the time. Like, that was what I needed and wanted to learn right then. Yeah. And it gets yeah. back to human nature. Humans grow and learn through modeling, not just like reading or mm-hmm. um, yeah. hearing something, but through modeling. Yeah. And Nick and Alexi got a date night every week. So that was great. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was one of the most consistent date night we'd mm-hmm. ever had, you know. And every Thursday night. Yeah. And then like, then Adam had to parent for the night. Like it wasn't just like, Oh, you can do this yeah. to your house. Like it was one of these deals where like, you need to handle these kids and here's what they're going to do. Here's how Abby's going to try to manipulate you. And you know, oh, and that was, a, and that was a weird thing. I think that was a learning curve for me because I walk into this situation. That was maybe the weirdest thing about living with Nick and Alexi was I, I came in and was immediately sort of this, like I wasn't a sibling, but I also wasn't a parent. And like I had to play a role in discipline, but not overstep my bound. Like, but I'm not a parent. Mm-hmm. So I'm not like, mm-hmm. like, and so like, where are those lines and where are those boundaries? That mm-hmm. was like the weirdest thing to have to learn. And that was just conversations that Nick and Alexi and I had and, um, and that, and, and me watching them and fig- kind of figuring out where all those, those things yeah. were and the yeah. life stage of the kids. And I mean, of course we told our kids that Adam was allowed to hit them with shovels. <laughs> you know, necessary. Right. Right. But then, you know, Adam still had to decide what he yeah. was comfortable with, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Adam, so I, you, I, do you need to take like a minute or something to brag about what you've done since you've left High Point? It, like in terms of fruitfulness of ministry, just because that's what it really inspires people. What they're hoping is, is that yeah. they're going to leave High Point and do things. So, can you say some, some stuff about what's happened at your church and how, and in your life? And how, like, obviously that's not 
high points doing, but like we're part of that story and, and the investment mm-hmm. and so on. So like, what can you tell us about like what's happened in your life that people who feel like they got to be part of some an investing institution or investing mm-hmm. relationships mm-hmm. would feel good about? Yeah. And it wasn't all high point, but high point had a huge impact. I, like I think about that year, that year was like worth 10 years of my life. You know, there are some years that are just bigger years and that mm-hmm. was one of them um, for me. So uh, I think the things that I'm most excited about in terms of like, well, one, one, I'm a like far better preacher, far, far better preacher. And I've had opportunities to preach um, in more settings because I got to learn at high point and, and in other churches in Madison, I, I preached about every three weeks on average, every three weeks that wow. year I lived in Madison at other churches in the area. And then you I were still the record for that, by the way. So like, I, I? you're, you're still always the example. I say, you know, Adam did when he was here, is he knocked <laughs> on doors? He made phone calls. Like he got himself gigs and he went wow. and preached and yeah. like, mm-hmm. that's not you. I'm not, I'll make a few phone calls, but you got to make that happen. And yeah, you did a really good job. I mean, well, I helped you write sermons, yes, but you did a good job finding for. opportunities. Initiating. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And if you don't suck the first couple of times, you start to get <laughs> It, it's get repeat invites. Yeah. 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 Um, so that, that's a big part, but I think, you know, for me, the most exciting things have been like, we, we led, I think you guys are, you guys are running alpha now as a yeah, program. At High Point. So mm-hmm. Michelle and I just did, Michelle's my wife, Michelle and I just did an alpha group in our home. Um, we're kind of piloting it at our church. And so, um, like we've built all these relationships with, with people who aren't yet believers in our, in our, just our lives, like our, our next door neighbors and our, um, this, these people I like randomly did their wedding and, um, they, the coolest thing for me this year has been, they, uh, have all moved remarkably. Like, like one person like explicitly came to faith. Like I got to pray for him to Mm -hmm. accept Christ, but there's a couple others who I think are Christians now. Like, like there was not necessarily a moment for them, but he's like explaining to me in like, well, one, they all wanted to continue meeting. So our alpha group mm-hmm. ended, but we're like, now we're studying the book of Luke together um, because mm-hmm. they wanted to, they wanted to meet. And when I asked them, what do you guys want to talk about? They were like, well, we'd love to like read a book of the Bible. Would that be okay? Um, I, I didn't do that. I didn't prompt that. They just wanted to You're do like, that. So that's a really, that's a really remarkably new idea. Yeah, we should. Yeah, but that's wow, what you guys I, want to try. Just, I never thought about let's that. Let's throw out the playbook and just do what yeah. you guys want. You know? Yeah. Um, and w- like getting to walk with them and watch their spiritual journey has been so cool. You know, this one guy's like explaining to me how when Jesus comes back, it's going to like all things are going to be made right. And it's going to like, he's like explaining. Uh, he, he had, he had literally zero, zero church experience knew Mm. absolutely nothing i mean literally like we sort of joke about like people who don't know what a testament is this guy did not know what a testament like it like it wasn't a joke it was he knew nothing so i think that's been some of the most exciting things for me Mm -hmm. um in ministry uh, that i that yeah was a huge a huge part of like high point was a huge part of cultivating me and like there are stories like that's just in the last six months but Um, there were stories in seminary where that was true. Like where my, my roommate and I, we started like a a study group with, or like a, like a a discussion group with a bunch of people from the local college, like a local liberal arts college, Mm -hmm. none of whom were, were believers. We just like talked about important things. Everyone put important topics in a hat and, and then we picked a topic every week and talked about it. And like, 
doing stuff idea. like so yeah, easy was, and such a good idea. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's super it was great. And so like those yeah. kinds of interactions that mm-hmm. like being a part of people taking steps forward mm-hmm. spiritually and mm-hmm. finding Jesus and and meeting Jesus and stuff like that. Like that has been the most exciting mm-hmm. things in my ministry, I think. And then as I think about church planting, like that's that's a big part of church planting. Um is is mm-hmm is that, and I, I don't think I'd be, I would not be ready to plant a church right now in my life had it not been for high point in my, my time there, no doubt in my mind. So, um, and I'm, I'm really excited about what that's going to look like. Um, cause we're going to plant like in the area, like just a little bit further South. If we, if we plant, when we plant a little bit further South of where our, our current church is like 10 minutes South. Mm. So, like it's a church multiplication strategy. That's not, it's not like a having a campus or something like that, but it's like a, because the, because our, your, your church is already multi-campus, right? We're not. So we were the, we were a campus of a church and oh, right. then we and grew then and grew and grew and grew. And then, so okay. we, we launched and when we launched, we decided we don't like, like the elders decided they don't want to, they don't want to do the multi-site thing that that's sort of, it's not really work. It doesn't really work in our area or it's, it used to, but it's kind of heyday is kind of over in our area. And, and it's, it's not really the most effective way to reach people, but this like multi-church where you're like planting daughter churches and these like, that is, uh, that seems to be like a, a way forward. We'll see. Um, but so we're really, cool. we're like, we're really excited about that. Cool. My wife and I are. So. Well, if you want to hear more from Adam, we mentioned Tony and Lisa Dolliger on this podcast, but they ha- they have a podcast called Date Night, and you got you and Michelle were on that podcast, yep. right, Adam? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that you can fun. hear from, more from him there. And um, where else can we hear your sermons or any any more of what you have to offer? Any content or what you're up sure. to? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can always follow me on Instagram at, at Adam Darbone, but yeah, um, I preach about once a month at our, at our church. So our church has a podcast, new North, our church is called new North church. So you just search new North church on any podcast, um, app, you'll be able to find it there. And our website is new North church. So you can, you can find out more about what we're doing in the Bay area and our ministry, but, um, I'd, I would, I'd welcome anyone who wants to reach out or talk more. So I, I love high point. And one of these days, Nick's going to actually invite me back to preach, but uh, I'm not sure when he's actually going to do that. So, Hey, uh, well, you haven't heard the news that, no, you have heard the news. Cause I texted you that Lloyd is leaving. So I have like eight openings for the rest of the year. Great. So we'll send you the spreadsheet. Yes. Send, send yes. the spreadsheet. Sign me That'd up. Awesome. I'd love to come. Yeah. That'd be great. Maybe during like when the wallife is good. That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be great. I'd, one of yeah. you will have to fill me in on when that is. So I'm an excellent record. bass fisherman. I am not a great walleye fisherman. So yeah, well, yeah. I'm, part of the issue is also you're a really good largemouth bass fisherman, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like it's two thirds smallmouth up here. You know what I mean? Yeah, which is a I, little different. I, they, I do. Yeah, I do all right with smallmouth. Too. I mean, we have all three speed. We have we have largemouth, smallmouth, and spotted bass in the lakes I go to. So okay. I'm I'm getting pretty good at at fishing i prefer fishing for a largemouth probably in in kind of targets but i i like fishing for smallmouth too yeah cool cool adam thanks so much for taking the time with us we appreciate it a lot and thank you for 
um, not being a complete tool so that we can actually say like, you came through our program and like, look what can happen. We really appreciate you because yeah. there was a lot invested in you in that year in high point. Um, but we feel like it has been a, so worth it and you've done so much with it. So we are really excited about that. So yeah. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me and thanks for investing so much in me. Yeah. Yeah. And my daughter, my, my daughter listened to your, date night podcast too like before me she was like oh yeah i got to hear adam and michelle rachel or i think it was abby, or abby. Yeah. abby nice yeah. yeah say hi to say, say hi to lexi and the kids for me i will i will all right we'll see you later all right bye guys bye Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you have a podcast idea or a question you'd like answered on the podcast, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a more substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways we have to reach new listeners. Until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.